Now, I had some insights shared with me this week from the staff. So I know you got some ladies in the church that are involved in the ministry of Someone Cares. And I, I tell you what, that may be one of the most important things you could get involved in. Dealing with ladies who've already been through abortions. Now, I'm a guy. I was raised with two brothers. My parents didn't adopt my sister till I left to go to the University of Texas. I had never even held a baby until my daughter was born. In fact, I, Jan had me hold her, said, you need to hold her, she's yours. And so I'm sitting there like this. She said, well, she needs to be burped. I don't know what you do with that. I mean, if it wasn't baseball, football, or basketball, I didn't mess with it at all. She said, well, put her on your shoulder and, and pat her on the back. So I got about right here and she fell on my chest. Uh, Jan screamed, thought I dropped her. So, I mean, you can't get any more ignorant when it comes to this kind of stuff than me. And it wasn't even on my radar to be involved in anything like this until Donna Smith walked into my office 27 years ago. She sat out in front of me, her and her husband, Robin. He didn't come that particular time, but she came in to talk with me. And I'd already got to know her, her husband taught at our Christian school. And she said, I need to talk with you. I need to really open up. Nobody knows what I'm about to say. And she began to pour out her heart at me that she had had an abortion when she was 16. She lived in California, and her mother and her pastor made her get the abortion. And so she had lived quietly with it all of those years. It led to the, being divorced from her husband at a, when she was married at a young age. She later met Robin. And what I didn't realize on that afternoon she sat in my office was that her and Robin were on the verge of divorce. And it had to do with a lot of the emotional stuff that Donna was going through. Now, when it comes to me understanding, you can't get much more of a jerk than I was. I gave her the great advice that you give to your football team. Toughen up. It'll get better. Let's move forward. We laugh about that today. But I finally said, Donna, I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to respond. I understand the hurt. I didn't understand. I, see, I'm a military church. I know what PTSD is. My soldiers have let me know some of the stuff they've been involved in in war and what they've had to do. And they have nightmares at night. And I've counseled that maybe a hundred times in my life. But I didn't realize the PTSD that women who've had abortions had gone through. But I said, Donna, I literally don't know what to do, but we're going to figure it out. And so I, with her, we hunted and we found a Christian counselor who did post-abortion counseling. It radically changed Donna's life that is not the only story I had 12 more women through my church over the years go through that and I watched every one of them get a healing like I cannot imagine well Donna came to me a year later and says can we start a pregnancy center I said yeah but I have no money village was still struggling in those days I'd taken over a church with a couple million dollars of debt and we budget still wasn't even sufficient to meet the debt on a monthly basis but I said you know what God has a way of providing let's try it and so Agape Pregnancy Center was started. Later became Life Choices, and now it's Life Choices Medical Center. And it, it, Donna has been involved in it from day one. I was on the board. I was president of the board for, or chairman of the board for 15 years until I retired. It's one of the greatest things I've ever been privileged to get involved in. So those of you who serve in that area of here at the church, I know Raba, I think y'all's center here. Listen, these are great ministries. People don't always darken the door of our churches anymore like when we used to do revivals in the old days, opportunity to hear the gospel. We found that what you do is you find the points where the gospel can be heard. 
And the greatest place to do that is in those types of centers. And we have seen many come to Christ through that. And my ladies, they pour their heart and soul in that. In fact, Thursday, I'll be at the center in San Antonio visiting with them, just checking on them to see how things are going. So today, I want to deal with that because it, it is important to me now. And I've seen what the other side does. I understand how all that works. And so I want to share with you some biblical truths that I think are very important. The overturning of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court will not end this battle, and it'll continue to be even more intense in the days ahead. And it's important of all of us that we have a good biblical understanding of where we stand. Because the other side can get very angry at you for your beliefs if, you, if you're involved in this, especially on a political level. So I want you now, to, with your Bibles, at Psalms 139, I want you to go down to about verse uh, 13. Stand with me, and I'm going to read a few of these, but I'm doing the entire Psalms 139 today. And I'm going to have to pull out my glasses for some reason today. There, it looks better. All right, here's what it says. For you have formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all, were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Now, Father, this morning as we talk through Psalms 139, help us to be able to reflect and think about the question, how big is our God? Because that dictates and impacts how we live our lives every single day. So, Father, you teach us. You open our eyes to understand these biblical truths and help them be a, a part of what we do, especially as we minister in Greenville to, to, to women who've gone through this very difficult situation and, Lord, need help and guidance. I thank you for the ladies in this church who serve and for those who are on the board of Rafa and that, Lord, you'll continue to bless all that they do. Is my prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> all right, let's go back to the first. Psalms 139 is pretty amazing. And you could use words like omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, all those big words. I'll do it real simple. We'll do it more on the kindergarten level. So the first one, instead of you using the word omniscience, our God is intimately acquainted with every one of us. He knows us. Do not underestimate how much he knows you at this moment. If you look at verse 1, it says, he searched me. It means to explore. He's made an effort. It's just not something there. He intensely knows who you are. In verse 1, simply says, he's known me. He knows me. In fact, in verse 2, it's going to say this. He knows when we sit down. You can't get a more insignificant thing in the world than to sit down. You, when you go home or when you go out to your car, you'll sit down in your car. When you get to the dinner, wherever you're going for dinner, or at home or restaurant, he'll know when you sit down. I mean, those seems trite, but he knows that about you. And when you get up, he knows when you get up. He knew that when about 5.15 this morning, I rolled out of bed. He knew I got up, went in the living room, and went back to sleep in my chair. So he knew that. I mean, that's how that works. But that amazes me that the creator of the universe, and as massive as this is, and as many people live on the earth, he knows who we are. But you know why? Back about 10 years ago, I get a call from Dr. George Martin of Southern Seminary and says, he asked me a question. He said, Steve, go with me. Will you go with me to Jakarta, Indonesia to teach at the seminary? 
I said, you're kidding me. I said, what's it going to cost me? He said, free. He said, sign me up. I'm, I'm ready. He said, we'll teach two weeks at the seminary in Jakarta. I want you to do pastoral ministries. I'll be doing some mission stuff. We'll also go out and work with the Muslims out in part of the communities. You on for this? I said, yes. Thank you. It's a privilege, honor. When is it? January the 1st through the 10th is when we'll be in Jakarta. I said, oh, got a problem. What's your problem? My wife's 60th birthday is on January the 5th, but let me work on it. I'll, I'll get that fixed. Uh, that, well, that'll be okay. So I got home that afternoon. I used all the skills and wisdom, which is not much, to try to win her over. Because you've got to know something about my wife. The birthdays of 40, 50, 60 were important. Whatever reason, that 10th one to her was important. And I already knew she wanted a party, a big one. Not just one of these kids come over and have some cake and stuff. She wanted a big party. I said, listen, I got asked to go to Jakarta, Indonesia to teach. She said, that's amazing. I said, yeah. And I told her, I made it sound so good. And I said, uh, she said, when is it? I said, January 1 through 10. It got quiet. It got real quiet. In fact, it not only got quiet, it got cold. It got real cold. Finally, I realized I'd made a tragic mistake. So I apologized and called my friend and said, thank you, but I cannot go. And I turned down my trip to Jakarta. But I knew that she wanted the party, so we planned and put on one of the biggest surprise parties ever. We did it in Fredericksburg, about 100 miles from where we live. I, I had this thing so set up, it was amazing. I had over 200 people there for her party from all over Texas and the churches we had served and everything. And my daughter, though, kept jabbing me about all my mistakes just to keep rubbing in. And I was not the smartest one when it came to all this. But it came that day, and we were walking up to this church. A friend of mine's the pastor. I'd rented his church. And I told Jan, there's a wedding at the church today. My friend Don Higginbotham wants to give me a book to read. We were there for just bed and breakfasting for the weekend for her birthday. And I said, let's stop by there. And so about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we pull up. Place is packed with cars. Man, it's a big wedding. And I got to look at all the cars. And I said, I hope she doesn't pay attention. She'll know every car that's in the parking lot. And so we get up to the door. And as we open, we get ready to open the door, it's decorated and um, leopard and red and all that kind of stuff. And my wife looked at that. That's got to be the ugliest wedding colors I've ever seen. <laughs> we open the door. And when she walks in the door, 200 people screamed surprise it ended up being she you know what her first words were at that point she turned around and looked at me and said you know me you know me that meant more than anything as stupid as I was getting up to that point but you know why I knew what to do because I love that little girl I always have and always will and when you love somebody you want to know them I want you to know this day that when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he loves you that much that he knows who you are. He knows everything about you. And if he was to throw you a surprise, which is not going to happen, but if he was to throw you a surprise birthday party, it would be exactly whatever you wanted. And verse 3 says he's intimately acquainted with every aspect of our lives. I think sometimes we don't realize how well God knows who we are, but he does. 
And so he knows what you need. He knows your, what you need to be protected. He knows how to take care of you. There's no areas of surprise in anything that goes on. There's never a time that he does not notice and take careful watch of all that's happening with your life. In fact, when the psalmist is doing this first few verses, he's finally going to say, I'm overwhelmed by this. Overwhelmed. He understood it. In fact, it's impossible to comprehend how well God knows us, but we can be overwhelmed by these amazing truths. It's a wonderful knowledge, verse 6 says. But it leads to this also. That's why 1 John 1, 9 makes a very important point to every single one of us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All you're doing in the word confess means to agree with him. He already knows you. He knows where you messed up. He knows where this is wrong or you've done this in a way that's not pleasing to him. All he wants from you is say, I'm sorry, you were right, I'm wrong. But that's how well he knows each and every one of us. And in reality, what it ought to give you is a deep joy and a peace. And so that's how the psalmist starts out. The second thing he wants you to notice is this is the word omnipresent, but let's do it this way. It just means God's always with us. There's not a moment in time that you're not, he's not watching over you and taking care of you. I can go all the way back into Deuteronomy. When Moses is giving in his final instructions to the people before they enter the, into the promised land for good, he's going to say this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be, do, do not, be trembled at your enemies that will be out there. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Phenomenal promise of God that there will never be a moment that God will fail you or forsake you in your life. It doesn't mean everything works the way you want. My, my middle son, he visited here a few weeks ago, sat up in the balcony. He had a tough week this week at Conoco. And he called me. He was so frustrated and flustered by something that had, that had happened. And, and I kept saying, son, you just know something. God's not surprised by this. You are, but he's not. And do not let this dictator control how you act, but you stand firm in what you believe and you live the life God's called you to live. No, it didn't work out right for you this week. I agree. I think you should have got this, not that. But I don't have any control over that. But our God is in control, and he's with you. You're not out there in Midland by yourself, which he sometimes feels like, but you're there with the presence of God in your life. Did you know this is a verse that's used in Hebrews 13? When I get to Hebrews 13, I'm getting the practical application of all the great truths that God gave us. Do you realize when it comes to the area of money, he's going to say this, you're not to have the love of the money and all that kind of stuff. But in verses 13, 5, he says this, my God's with you. He'll take care of you. So even when you and I are maybe struggling a little bit with finances, and I, you know, when you're raising kids, and I raised three, my kids liked to total cars when they were in high school. I don't know about your kids, but we totaled three cars, and my car insurance got more than my mortgage. I'm serious. I, I was ready to just throw my hands up and quit. But you know, I think back, how did I survive that? I made about half the salary I did towards the end when they were young. But God seemed to get us through. We made it. If I've ever learned one thing through life is that my God knows where I'm at and he's there for me always. And whether it works the way I want, he makes everything work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's with you as you sit here, as you drive home, as you're at home tonight. In fact, the presence is so amazing in verse 7, you can't hide from him. Do you know a famous Old Testament story where God tried to hide? Jonah, God found him, stuck him in a fish where he really got to hide. But then he brought him back because you cannot hide from the presence of God. You can flee to the heavens. 
You can get on one of Elon Musk's new rockets and take off from Mars. God will be with you. You cannot escape even if you went to the heavens. You can go to the place of the dead. You can't escape the presence of God there. You can go to the remotest part of the sea. Any of you have ever been to Hurt Island? It's probably one of the most remote islands in all the world. It's uninhabited. It's down in the Indian Ocean. It would, it's halfway around the world from us. It is considered the most remote part of the world. You could be there on Hurt Island today, and you would be the only one on that island, but God would be with you. So God is present with us wherever we go. In fact, I like what verse 11 then adds to that. Even during the darkest of times, God's with you. Because the dark is not dark to God. I've always had great night vision, but as I turn 70, my night vision's not as good. So some of you understand that. I don't like it. In fact, driving, I'm even telling my wife, I'm not certain if I like being out sometimes at night when it's super dark and, and stuff. I don't see quite as clear because dark seems to be getting darker to me as I get older. But you want to know something? When God looks in total darkness of all that's happening around us, he still sees us. You talk about a great night vision goggles. He's got it. He knows exactly where you are. He sees you there at night when you're struggling in your mind and your soul with stuff that's going on, with the frustrations of life. He is with you. Night is as bright as day to him, and that means nothing's ever hidden. In the most tragic of times, God's presence is always with us. So you are safe and secure. He's always there. He's going to take care of you, and he's going to do one thing. He will bring you safely home. One of my staff members, Alejandro Ortiz, was in prison in Mauritania. His friend had just been executed in the street. They beat him to within an inch of his life. It's a Muslim country, and he was a Christian missionary who had just been found out. He and I have had many conversations about that sitting in my office. One of the finest men I've ever known. He had to retire after this because his wife had a breakdown from it. It, it stole everything that he had of value in his life, what he went through those particular days. But he said what got him through the darkest of moments in the prison in Mauritania was that God was with him. And God knew him. And even if he died in the prison and nobody at home knew anything about it, his God was with him and would bring him safely home. See, that's the truth that you and I have. Now that leads to this being sanctity of life, the passage that everybody uses for sanctity of life. So as we come to this, you've got to know what. If he knows everything, he knows you intimately, if he is present every single where and you cannot escape, then even when you're in the womb of your, when you're in the womb of your mother, he knew you. And he is doing something amazing. And so what is that? Well, I could use the word uh, omnipotent at this point, but I'll just say this. He can perfectly design and make anything happen, which he's done for each and every one of us. Verse 13, he formed our inward parts. Everything about you, he made. He weaved us in his mother's womb, in our mother's womb. You know what that means? intricately put together intricately put together you know life is amazing now when my kids were born I'm just trying to figure out how am I paying for this how am I going to survive this and everything else but my grandkids came along you have a different approach and so when Branson was born that son that day in San Antonio many many years ago he's in college now but Stephanie had him and she said pops you want to hold him I said yeah so I'm sitting there holding him 
I just amazed. I guess the age I was at now and seeing that little baby in my hands, knowing this is one of my grandkids now, but there was just something amazing about that. How this body works and how it is woven within the, the mother's womb is the most stunning thing ever. Our world does not appreciate it, nor do they like it most of the time, but you and I are people who know something. Our God is at work, even in the most difficult situations, and he is making things happen. And even in the womb of a mom, he is making that unfold. And if you'll notice in verse 14, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made with skill. You're not an accident. A lot of people think they're accidents. In one sense, from a worldly point, maybe that is true. But you're not. No accidents with God. He's the one who gave you life. He's the one who created you. He's the one who made you. He knows what he's doing. We're part of his perfect plan. Each one of us is special. Now, I didn't like the way he made me when I was in high school. I don't know if you had those kind of issues growing up, but I didn't. See, as I may have said before, when I graduated high school, I was 5'4 and 120 pounds. And all I wanted to do was play sports. I wanted to play third base for the Houston Astros. I wanted to be a, a good quarterback, and I was second-string quarterback for the number two team in the state of Texas. And if our quarterback had ever got hurt, we were sunk if I went in. I completed one out of seven passes in my career. My dad says it's still the most beautiful end-over-end pass he's ever seen anybody throw. <laughs> I'm not joking. Those kind of things happen. My longest run was seven yards, and that was hiding behind a center who was 6'4". When you're little, and I hated it, I hated it. It really impacted me. Well, my brothers are all state singers. Won four years, all state, top tenor in this Texas. So I thought, well, I can at least try to sing since I'm little. I went out for the church singing group. It was special. They were very well known in southeast Texas, the witnesses. And I got home. Mom said, how'd you do in trials? I said, I did well. The other guy was terrible. The other guy's the one they picked. <laughs> so I couldn't sing. I was little. I made good grades, but who wants to be known for making good grades in high school? I didn't. I complained to my mom. My mom said, listen, God has a plan for your life, young man. And she would pull out the world's smallest violin at that point. Poor boy. Poor son. Life's miserable and tough. And she just plays that. When I left, my church gave me a, a violin that's about this big. Because so, I tell that story ever so often. But you know, I went away to college and came back my first year from the University of Texas at 6'1", 195 pounds. And I was thinking sports again. I can go back and play football and all that. But God has a whole different ball game for me. My brothers are 5'7". My dad is 5'6". My, my grandfather was 5'5". My great-grandfather is 5'4". Somewhere along the way, he had a difference for me. But you know what? I don't care if you're 5'4 or if you're 6'4". God's the one who put you there, and he has reasons for it. And you and I need to learn to accept some of these things instead of beat ourselves to death. God has a plan for each and every one of us, and it's special. Some of us may make it to the high and be known world famous, which you don't want anyway. Some of us may make a lot of money, and if you do, that's fine. Some of us, most of us, are just kind of average folk on this earth. But God knows us. He's got us there for a purpose, and he's using us in very unique ways. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty amazing that I'm just not one out of a six billion people on the earth, but God had a plan for me from the very beginning. He made me. He stuck me in this world. And he said, son, now you live out to what I've created you for. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he says in Philippians. Work it out because I've given you everything you need to be able to do that. 
You know what? I'm glad God didn't ask me to sing. I'm glad I didn't play third base for the Houston Astros. I've had the most amazing life doing what God created me for. And I would not change one aspect of anything that's taken place over the 45 years that God gave me on to be able to do the ministries that I was able to do and be able to impact and influence the people I was able to impact and to know the greatest people in all the world as I pastored the three churches I did all these years. See, most people think when the baby is suddenly find out they're pregnant that there's no God, I'm stuck, nobody's going to help me, I, need, I, I, I can't do this. There's no way I can go through this and they look for the first way to get out of it. But you and I need to know something. You don't need a way out of it. You just need to look to the Father and trust Him. And that's why your pregnancy center is critical because at critical moments, the world influences people to make some really bad decisions. But God's called us to be a witness for truth and life and to be there to love people. We called our place a no-judgment zone at Life Choices. We didn't care what the young ladies had been involved in or what had happened. We wanted to help them get through it. And we would work with them. I will tell you, even those who had had abortions, we had a young girl who came to our clinic. I could spend all day just telling stories. I've got thousands of unbelievable stories I could tell because when you hit 7,000 women a year, you get miracle after miracle after miracle. But the one I've always thought was really special was a young lady came into our clinic who had had an abortion at Planned Parenthood on Babcock in San Antonio, seven miles from where my center is. She had had the chemical abortion where she took the pill they gave her another one to go home and the next day to take it to finish what the first, <clears throat> first one was going to do. She took the next one the next day, and when she did, she passed out. When she woke up, she woke up in blood. She woke up cramping. She woke up feeling like she was dying. She was scared out of her mind. She was totally by herself in an apartment. She called Planned Parenthood and said, I don't know what's going on. I need help. Please, would you help me? They said to her, you must have made a mistake. It's your fault. We can't help you and hung up. So she did what kids do nowadays. She got a phone laying there on the floor and she just Googled something. Life choices came in the front. She called. We said, come in. We had a doctor waiting for her when she got there. We loved on her. We helped her. We helped her get through that. We helped her get back on her feet. Now, it's just a simple story, but it's what she wrote later because every girl will evaluate us when they leave. And as president or chairman of the board, I get to read the evaluations. And this little girl who never darkened the door of a church, who didn't know what theology was even about, who couldn't even told you who Jesus was at, before she came in, who had had the most troubled life there ever was, wrote these words. Very simple. I can still see it on the piece of paper. Planned Parenthood is darkness. Life choices is light. That's the difference we made in her life. I will tell you, she still checks in every so often for help from our ladies. So on this week, as you and I gather together, remember this life thing is important. It's not a political issue, it's a life issue. A lot of people make politics dirty. I was at, invited the governor's office when uh, Governor Perry signed a bill, a pro-life bill that he signed. It's one of the worst scenes ever took place in the, the Senate there in Texas. But I was there that morning. I got to the Capitol early. I got to go into his office with some other pastors and some life choice. Uh, some of my people from Life Choices were invited. We get to go in there, and outside the door of the auditorium, by the next to the governor's office, where he was signing the bill on a stage like this, we could hear the chants outside. Hell, Satan, kill babies. I was shocked. I just thought that was stuff I heard people talk. I didn't know it was real. 
was talking to the highway patrolman as I was leaving. He said, Steve, this is, he wasn't a church person. He said, I've never seen anything like this week and the evilness of this week. It's been unbelievable. I don't really like what the governor did, but I'm glad he did it because I don't like the other side at all. See, this is not politics. This is talking about life, the very issues of what God's trying to do. And so I'm going to challenge you as a church, keep doing what you're doing when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I want you to take the other truth. God is with you. He knows you, and he made you. Now go live life. Close with this. Verse 17 then says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they'd outnumber the sands. So you can't, you can't even begin to count all that God's doing. When I'm awake, I'm still with you. And then he goes down a little bit farther, and he's going to say in verse 23 to close, God, please continue searching me. I want you to know me. I want you to know my heart. Father, give me a good heart. Help me to walk with you. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, because we have them. You know, I can tell you to stop worrying sometimes. You're going to do it anyway. Scripture says don't do that. But the wife has a way of hitting us, and we lay there at night, and our minds run crazy with things. God... Please be with me. He is with you. He is watching over. He knows this. And then, Father, if you see anything hurtful in me, get me away from it. This whole thing is he's saying to God this. Since you know us, you're with us, and you made us, then you keep that work up, and you finish it in Christ, and you make me a good person. You make me the kind of person that when I walk into your presence, you'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant so your prayer today is ask God to search you ask him to know your heart even more and ask him to lead you in an everlasting way listen life is precious but this world we live in is is difficult but you get up every day and you be salt and light I like one thing that the church I attend in Fort Worth does that every time they baptize somebody they wear a t-shirt in the baptistry and it says I'm not ashamed and whenever they ask them before they baptism for their confession, they say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Every person baptized at that church. I never had seen that or heard that, but I, I liked it. When it comes to this kind of stuff, you've got to be willing to stand up and say, I'm not ashamed. I don't care what the world thinks. I know what God's word says, and I'm willing to stand with it. And I will show love and compassion to all, and especially those who are hurting. So those of you who do that ministry, keep it up. It's one of the greatest ministries you'll ever do. I close with this. I had a young lady in my church. She'd come to me for counseling. It wasn't doing any good. It didn't matter what I talked about. She got hospitalized about six or seven times with stress. She couldn't handle life. She's late 20s, early 30s, two kids. She even did something that never had happen again. I'm glad it didn't. I was too busy trying to figure out my own. She brought her daughter over, who was four at the time, and asked my wife and I to discipline her daughter. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, but we go, that's not my kid. But she wanted us to discipline it. Well, several years later, when she's in my office, we get nowhere. I mean, when I got home, Jan said, how'd it go with such and such? I said, I'm not doing any good. I'm missing something. I don't know what's wrong. I'm not getting this right. I'd ask God, you got to show me because I can't figure what's, what's, what's the issue here. 
So one day she called the secretary and said, will the pastor see me tonight? It was Wednesday night. She said, well, after a prayer meeting, he, his office will be open. One of the secretaries is working. So yeah, he'll see you. And you have from 8.30 or 8 to 9 because his wife will be playing in the, uh, the piano in the, in the auditorium and for choir practice. And so when it's over with, y'all are going to have to leave. He'll have to leave. So 8 to 9, half, that's it. So we scheduled it. She came and she sat down and says, Pastor, if I, when I tell you what I've done, you're going to hate me. And I said, the little girl said, I, there's nothing you can tell me that will make me hate you. Because I've known you for several years as your pastor. You, you, you can't tell me anything, literally. Because I've heard literally everything by now, but you can't. I promise you. She, liked it. she couldn't tell me. After 30 minutes, she still couldn't say what she'd done wrong. Finally, it dawned on me out of the clear. I said, you've had an abortion. Two. Uh, I got her with my pregnancy center. They counseled with her. You know, she never was in the hospital again. Number two, she hated her mom, and her mom never knew she had the abortion, but she blamed her mom for the abortions. They restored their relationship and had two years together before her mother died of cancer. Her kids have now turned out pretty good. But I asked her this question. I got, so I got to know one more thing. Why did you bring your daughter for me to discipline? I killed two babies. I was not going to hurt another one. See, I know what you can do when you change people's lives. It becomes good. And that's what you and I have been called to do. See, church is something you do on Sunday. It is. We do it on Sunday. We worship. We, we, we go to Bible studies. We fellowship with each other. But it's taking it home and living it out every single day to the glory of God, touching lives and salt and light so that their lives can either overcome what's happened in the past or we can prevent them from walking a path that could cost them greatly down the road so this is a real simple message today but has profound impacts in the culture now in which we live and you do your part to be what God's called you to be join with me as we pray father we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor that you've given us to be able to gather here at Ridgecrest to be able to worship to uplift the name of the Lord Jesus to be with our family and friends as we fellowship together but Father, help the church to continue to grow strong and to be a witness in the community in all aspects, especially when it comes to the life of the unborn. Bless those who are at work here doing that ministry already with Raba and, and the other uh, pregnancy uh, center situation. Lord, bless that in a special way. Continue to use them. Empower them to have an impact on all that happens. Now be with us as we bring our service to conclusion. It is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.